You're about to listen to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders and for coders about all aspects of life as a developer. I'm Will, the curmudgeonly experienced developer. And I'm Beach, the optimistic newbie developer. Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast. Before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Uh, well, on my side project, I'm dealing with OData. OData, my data. Yeah. Well, parsing the filter expression and trying to turn it into parameterized SQL because my system, like the way that I built the data access layer, does not have um, iQueryable support. So, like, it's not like Entity Framework or any of those. And so I have to literally build up SQL statements from the filter, and it has to be parameterized so that I don't get SQL injection. I think I've got it. Um, I spent I've spent just a ridiculous amount of time over the last two weeks on it, um, but I think I've got a pretty good frameworky way to do it so that I can set it up for the other people because they, they like they don't want to be in this stuff. Yeah, that that's my role in this project is getting rid of the complexity so that the other people can do their thing. So that's one thing. Uh, the other thing I'm fighting right now is Windows. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think how to put this kindly, Microsoft. Uh, I was going to say it's not Ooh, you. RPG. Yeah, I'm gonna, I was going to say it's not you, it's me, but it really is totally you. Um, I don't know who thinks it's a good idea to push updates to Windows Server 2012 without asking, um, but they did push one, and I did not consent to that update. And I was told to reboot when I remoted into the box. And so I rebooted, and then remote desktop didn't work until I actually physically pulled the power plug really? on the box, waited, plugged it back in, and booted back up, and let it go through check disk. Guys, he was doing this when I got here today. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that that's one thing. Um, and that that's pretty frustrating. The other thing is it also changed the power settings on my laptop. Uh, Windows 10 did this, so it's a completely different team. And what it did is it changed the meaning of the power button. And what that effectively means is, is when I hit the button that I thought meant shut down and the way I had configured it to mean shut down, it didn't shut down. It hibernated. So I put it in my laptop bag. And then when I come back to the box, the battery's dead. My battery now has memory. You've damaged hardware, effectively, as far as I'm concerned. Which you is, know what? I might not have told you about that one because I. It, but you shouldn't have had to know. I shouldn't have had to know. Like this it, is. It shouldn't have changed the settings. Yeah, but it did. Um, so that's what I'm dealing with. I'm I'm looking at what it's going to take to take my physical Windows boxes and get them into VMs uh, for development, and switching to Linux as the base operating system so that you can't break my hardware when I'm trying to do something else. Yeah, and so that. The development environment just starts when I'm actually trying to develop because, you know, what I was doing the other day is I was, you know, I was fixing stuff with my, like my backups on the server and I got derailed for three hours because of the thing just playing sit and spin and, you know, trying to figure out what in the world was going on and trying to wait for timeouts. And it's like, you know, guys, this isn't this is not OK. Yeah, no, that's just wrong on so many levels. So yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. Uh, how about you? Other than cracking open a beer unsuccessfully in front of the microphone. Well, you know, I was trying to make that that loud noise when you 
<laughs> well, and speaking of which, we actually have some, uh, you know, we drink beer while we're, while we're recording. I don't know if anybody's ever noticed that, but it's probably somewhat obvious on some of them. Um, I didn't know that. We have some uh, Dragon's Milk Reserve Vanilla Chai, which is what I'm drinking right now. The uh, And then you got some kind of chocolate oatmeal porter. Yeah, I, I drank my vanilla chai while we were setting up. So uh, Yeah, somebody at, the, uh, somebody at the store actually held that back for me, the vanilla chai. Yeah, was, so that was that was pretty awesome. Speaking of, of beer, I just got back from uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, my baby sister lives up there, and uh, I went up to, to visit her and my nephew, and I had a job interview up there. Um, so that was that was kind of cool. But um, I got to spend some time with my brother in law. Like my sister was was sick to her stomach. Every time I go up there, I only get to stay for a few days. So. Uh, they try to take me out to a different Clevelandy place each time, and uh, so this time we went to uh, a brew house. And uh, will you will actually like the way this place was set up? Um, the The whole point they have their own their own stuff they brew, but what they do is they let home brewers in the area come in, and they will use their recipes. So like they'll get their master brewer to make a large batch. That's, that sounds awesome. Except uh, I don't really have recipes for mine. <laughs> um, you know, I know a lot of folks probably you know kind of picked up listening to this podcast a little bit more recently. Uh, you know, probably haven't heard the first episode, but I do make my own wine. In fact, we're sitting in a room with probably seventy something bottles of wine. Well, at least that. Yeah, I think the uh, the. The rack holds 70. I forget if it holds 70 or 80. But, you know, I made 90-something initially, and I've given some away, but that's a hobby of mine. For those of you guys that don't know, I I have been married, uh, and uh, Will made the wine that uh, we had at my wedding. The mead. The mead, yeah, which is honey wine, for those of you that don't know. Uh, And that was actually a mellow mill, because mm -hmm. it was was, uh, mead with fruit. Yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah. There were some mishaps along the way on that one, but we'll... uh, I'll tell that story some other day. <laughs> yeah, but, not with uh, the, not with the well, there was with the marriage too, but just with the wine itself. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Like let's let's just say that there was a point at which I was picking blackberries off the ceiling. I remember that story. That was with that wine. That was that. Yes. Ah, that kind of puts that together. Okay. And yeah, when the carboy blew, it it sounded like a gunshot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um. Um, speaking of uh, of things blowing, um, we're standing around the table filling our plates with food, and the champagne bottle they had for uh, mimosas popped, just sitting on the table. That's fortuitous. Yeah. Uh, and so that was that was kind of funny. Oh, I also I had a really good Bloody Mary. I know you're a big fan of those, and I've never been a big fan of them. But uh, well, they never make them hot enough. Yeah, uh, my my brother-in-law is, he doesn't really drink it much either. But uh, his friend brought over the the stuff to make it and made him one. He's like, you got to try this. And when we checked the ingredients, no onions. So I was able to to have one, and it was phenomenal. Nice. But, uh, I had that, and uh, I had something really awesome happen on the drive up. And it would have been earlier than that, but uh, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm going to take a trip, I saved up about a week of podcast episodes to listen to. And uh, (laughs) my dad went with me. I dropped him off at my grandmother's on the way up to my sister's, and uh, I almost scared him to death. I was listening to... uh, 
one of my top shows. Uh, there are three development podcasts that I listen to um, every week. It's just I look forward to those shows coming out, and I'll leave, I'll tell you guys that's .NET Rocks, Code Newbies, and then my current favorite right now is the MS Dev Show. One, because the guys there are just awesome. I've talked to them on Twitter and stuff, and they're really cool. But they read my comment. On the air. On the air. I know. You sent me a message, like, in the middle of the day. and <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited. And, and I'm, I'm looking at it going, wow, you, you kind of got some notoriety there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I... Um, I had uh, I had left them a review on iTunes, uh, which, by the way, guys, if y'all leave us a review on iTunes, we will read it on the show. Currently, the only person that's left us one is my little sister, and she's asked us not to read it. So yeah, <laughs> so you can totally go there and read it, and you know circumvent that. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, um, so we do we do really need to get we need to start on that. I mean, that's yeah. that's one of the things we kind of talked about at the beginning of the year, and. Yeah. You know, so guys, if you could help us out, that would that would be great. We kind of want to get our show uh, bigger than it is. We've had some pretty explosive growth here lately, anyway. That's been almost shocking. Hey guys, go on there, give us some five star reviews. Um, that'll help push us into uh, hopefully at some point getting featured by iTunes. And uh, the more listeners we can get, the sooner we can start uh, having sponsors that let us give stuff away. Speaking of giveaways, that's why I, I am so happy with MS Dev Show. They read my comment, and I got the Infragistics uh, Ultimate License. That's like $2,000 right yeah. there that I got for leaving a comment. So yeah. I've got some, you know, I've got some stuff that you might be able to use as well with that, and yeah. you could do some pretty slick things. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, actually, after that, I... Um, I was driving. So here's the funny part of the story. I was driving, and my dad had passed out in the passenger seat. He was sawing logs. He passed out. He fell asleep. Yeah, fell asleep. <laughs> Those have two completely different meanings. <laughs> oh. Anyway. Okay. Well, my dad had fallen asleep in the passenger seat, and uh, they they read the comment at the beginning, and they said who it was from, and it was me. And I just... I was so excited. I just screamed, I won, I won, I won. My dad jumps up in his seat, which was kind of funny because he's kind of a heavy guy and he was wearing a seatbelt, so it was really funny seeing him jump. He thought we were having a wreck. <laughs> and then I told him, you know, hey, I just won like $2,000 worth of software um, on a show that I've been listening to for, for a couple of years now. And he's like, that's awesome, but... Uh, I'm not going to go back to sleep now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I told uh, I told he who shall not shall not be named. Yeah, I figured you about would. it, and he's like, "Man, that guy's luck." <laughs> like that's 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 like the only comment that anybody ever gives about you is just like, "Man, his luck." <laughs> so anyway, um, I guess with that, it's about time to uh, jump into IOTs and play the music. Here. Oh yeah, let's uh, let's roll some of that awesome music and. Uh, I have something really cool. Actually, we uh, we talked a little bit about the uh, the original of these, but uh, this is a DIY or do-it-yourself smartwatch. I can't remember if it was last week or the week before last. We talked about the uh, Apple Watch 
and you were talking about how that has affected the tech industry like mobile did when it first became a big thing. Yeah, people aren't quite sure what to do with it. Well, this is one that you can build yourself. And, uh, you know, with smartwatches being the new thing in wearable technology, this is kind of a fun project for adults or older kids. It's a little more complicated than uh, than some of the other stuff that that I've had this month. But uh, it can sync with an Android or an iPhone via Bluetooth. Of course, drivers must be installed before creating any code. Basically, the hardware here is the Tiny Duino processor, Tiny Screen OLED, Tiny Shield that goes on the Tiny Duino processor, Lithium Ion Polymer Battery, Tiny Shield USB, and a Tiny Shield NRF8001 BLE. That's for your Bluetooth. So, what kind of battery life are we looking at with it? small of a form factor of battery on that thing. About the same battery life as your average smartphone. Maybe a little bit less. Hmm. So you probably have to charge it once once a day, like overnight. For software, if you have an Android, you'll need to download the Android Smartwatch app, which uh, can be found on GitHub. You'll also need a CodeBender plugin. And uh, if you don't want to buy all this stuff separately, tiny screen actually has a smartwatch kit. It's at tinycircuits.com, and all this will be in the show notes um, so you guys can look it up. It's a really neat idea. Uh, personally, I have a few of the, the pieces already, so I'd probably just buy them individually myself, but uh, I think it's really cool that they have a whole kit with the plastic band and everything for you. For, for marches for makers, that's uh, kind of a really neat thing that you can make on your own, I think. Nice. So what are we talking about this week? This week we're going to talk about dev skills. Um, uh, this was actually a listener-requested episode um, that we do kind of a bulleted list of fundamental or basic skills that develop a port- Including public speaking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to leave that in there now. Yeah, I do now. Uh, a list that developers could look at as they are learning to kind of almost like a checklist uh, of things that they need to know before really being hireable or doing any real work. I wrote the uh, the outline for this and uh, looked it up. Uh, there's a question on Quora. I don't know if you guys... Did you sign up so you can get their spam? No, I was already signed up for them. And, uh, ah, good man. Yeah. But... Uh, the question was, what are the five essential skills every web developer should have? Okay, so it's specific to web. Yeah. These are specific for web developers. That's what the request was, so that's where I went with it. There were 91 different answers. Wow. And they ranged from technical skills to personal skills to interpersonal skills. Quote that I got from one of the answers by Elise Taylor The idea here is that most of us should already know most of what is on this list, but there just might be one or two items you haven't really looked into before, don't fully understand, or maybe never even heard of. Seems fair. Yeah, I I really like that. On the the Quora answers, uh, some similarities across the board in most of the answers were uh, the basics of the web, 
HTML, CSS, JavaScript. HTTP. Yeah, HTTP. Which I wish some former devs that have worked on things that I have inherited had understood because that that hurts a lot when somebody's built something that yeah, doesn't work like the internet works. It doesn't work like the web works. Server basics. Um, that's, that's kind of the basics of the web. Security came out as a big one. Yeah, I can I can see that. I mean, that's that's going to continue to be a big thing. Yeah, just because of how much just how much infrastructure we're getting out on the web for every you know for every business for everything that's going on out there, and there's just a lot of really sloppy code being written and, and code where people don't think about what happens if there's an error or if user inputs dirty anything like that. It's yeah. Also, testing. And I know Will has some strong opinions on testing. Well, I mean, I I guess I have a utopian vision on that, right? Like, I think we should all test, and I've never been anywhere that did yeah. with any. I mean, that's that's not the kind of situations I go into anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I wish we had more tests, especially like automated regression testing. You got some neckbeard coming in that hadn't seen the code before, and then they they break something three pages over when they change something. If you had a regression test, you'd know that mm-hmm. instead of finding out, you know, six weeks later. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and then uh, finally, on the the similarities was a willingness to learn. Almost everybody had some type of that in their answer. Now, some interesting answers, uh, just a few, because I. I didn't look through all 91, but I kind of scanned through them, and I found some interesting things, and I pulled about four of these of just the ones that I thought were were good. Etiquette on sites like Stack Exchange, Stack Overflow, and GitHub. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's there's a lot of people that don't seem to understand how those sites work, and you, you really have it at both ends. You've got, you've got the folks that are basically asking for questions to be answered that are their homework questions yes. in school. You'll see a lot of that, and that's that's rude. Go learn. And the other thing you'll see is a lot of people having the uh, read the effing manual mindset that's uh, – yeah, you know, the Linux community gets branded with that a lot, but it's it's everywhere. And we're yeah. we're going to get into a little bit of this later on when we talk about our list of necessary skills. Next would be pulse on the industry and on the user. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, a lot of people are are pretty disconnected. I mean, the Silicon Valley bunch have got an idea that everybody's on Twitter and yeah. everybody's on social media, and everybody you know has got the newest you know social network for chimps and. Most people really don't. It's a different world between the the world in Silicon Valley and anywhere else. Yeah, I was saying, and, and the dev environment and world in Nashville, Tennessee, where we live. Yeah, and it's even you know there's a huge difference too between the way that the uh, top five percent of companies are acting and doing things versus everybody else. Yes. Because, you know, like, well, you brought up testing earlier, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know plenty of people that are like, oh, yeah, you ought to have automated regression tests and you ought to have, you know, GUI driven tests that are, you know, recorded and go through everything. And you ought to have unit, you know, you ought to have massive unit integration tests and you ought to have a continuous integration server and da, 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 da. And I'm sitting here going, OK, I'm doing good right now to get things to check into TFS. Yeah. You know, there is no build server. There is no automated unit testing. That's not the world I live in. It's sort of like the thing of, of it's that in 
almost, you know, sub imperialistic mindset of, Oh, you, this is just not sanitary the way that you live. It's like, okay, that's, that's great. You know, going to somebody who's got a sloppy apartment in Manhattan, but it doesn't work so well on the slums of Mumbai. Yeah. It's just a complete mindset shift. It's like, yeah, th- this person's doing the best that they can do with where they are and with yeah. what they, what they're dealing with. And, you know, most of what I've had to work with has been, has been the slums rather than the, you know, the ivory towers. And I, I mean, of course I wouldn't trade that for the world either because it's a different type of person. Yeah, it really is. But speaking of that, uh, the next would be effective communication, including brevity, how to handle criticism, handle criticism by proving it wrong. <laughs> I'd say handle criticism. Um, and finally, yeah, and I mainly am joking about that, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, you're going to because you're going to get a lot of criticism that's pretty much on point, and that's that's the criticism you worry about because if there's if they're off, who cares? Finally, logic and analytical thinking. Um, so that's that's kind of what I gained from looking through the Quora answers from that and a few other websites. I put together kind of our list of necessary skills to be a web developer. And uh, sent this off to Will to look over, uh, which he did. Very, very briefly. Um, <laughs> um, I tried to make it as evergreen and language agnostic as possible. Um, I broke it down into fundamental knowledge, the absolute basics, then kind of your basic knowledge, intermediate knowledge. This is that kind of the stuff you need to know for like doing freelance work or open source contributions and then more advanced knowledge the, to get the job knowledge and then to stand out from the crowd knowledge. And so we're going to start with the absolute core basics, core web languages. Yeah. And by basing your skill set on learning the underlying languages of these frameworks and libraries, you will future proof yourself against this fast moving in quotes industry to a point where it actually feels like things move incredibly slowly. And that's a uh, quote from Tim Wright. What what this comes down to is, is your core functionality that you have to deal with on a daily basis in the web. It's whatever your stuff is compiling to or whatever it's generating. It's the you know, the lingua franca, as you will, of the, of the web. Um, in, in this particular case, your your language choices are going to be, you know, HTML, CSS, vanilla JavaScript. That's, you know, no jQuery, no Angular, just straight up, you know, base JavaScript and Markdown. Yeah. And it's Markdown like, I had as a as a nice to have at, for like the very end. And the more I have done since I wrote this, I decided to move it into the core the core web languages, because I think this is something that everyone should at least have a cursory knowledge of. Yeah, I mean, well, especially if you're developing content, because hey, look, let's just be honest here. HTML is painful. It's designed to make a machine able to read a document. CSS is designed to be able to make a machine process and execute, you know, s- styling, basically. Yes. JavaScript is designed to make a machine be able to process and execute instructions on the web. Markdown is Markdown is in a little bit of a different class because it compiles down. I would you know I would say Markdown would be the the way that you generate HTML. Yeah, in now, some I cases, call Markdown a core web language, but I think it's a core. It's so basic important though. I mean, that, and it's the same thing with uh, you know Less and SAS for generating CSS. I, mean, I was going to mention those because since I wrote that, I have been learning some SAS. Yeah, and I I would agree one hundred percent with that. And the same thing with uh, you know learning some TypeScript and CoffeeScript to generate your JavaScript. It's like mm-hmm. you've got to have the underlying JavaScript 
too. But these other things are how people do it when they don't want to suffer. That kind of brings us into our next point, which is JavaScript libraries like jQuery and frameworks like Angular, React, Backbone. I mean, I can keep going. Basically, it's a good idea to kind of know the differences between each one and what each does. I have actually been asked in an interview, what is the difference between Angular and jQuery? (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah, that's, that's a, I'm not sure how I would even answer that question. Like I'm a senior dev and you know, here's the thing. I know the difference. I've used both, but I've used jQuery with Angular. Like it's not, it's like the difference between the cart and the horse. It's like one of them connects to the other one. I mean, yeah, it's jQuery is a library and Angular is a framework. I guess I can see that. Although that's, that's kind of, I think that's what they were going for. That's the usual breakdown, but jQuery is also a framework for delivering plugins. That's true. And Angular is a library that you include in things, and you may only use, for instance, Angular data binding and not use the rest of it. And Well, data binding is the first thing I learned when I learned Angular because yeah, I, I use it constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's good to know the difference in what they all do, but it's going to be very hard to express it. No. Uh, it's more like a cursory knowledge of the differences. Be familiar with them. Now, yeah. also, learn jQuery. That's just that. Just learn jQuery. Yeah. I mean, there's not... There used to be some other tools around, and I'm, I'm sure they're still there. I mean, I know um, a friend of mine was developing in MooTools way back before you know I even heard of uh, jQuery, but I haven't seen a whole lot of that around. Yeah. Um, jQuery is going to be pretty common you know, and it's, I, it's one of those things that pretty much everywhere I look, it's, you're going to run into it and, and learn how to design things in a modular fashion in jQuery. Mm-hmm. And that, that will make it where if, even if they're not using jQuery, they, they can probably use it and you can still be useful. Yes. Another thing here is, is picking a framework and actually learning it. Angular is really good for this because, you know, there's a lot of people doing that. I mean, there's some well, other Angular ones. Angular is very popular in Nashville. Yeah. Um, just being out on the market uh, because I have Angular on my resume. Everywhere I've interviewed has asked me about Angular. There's plenty of other stuff on my resume they don't ask about, um, but every place I've interviewed has asked about Angular. Yeah, it's a good framework. I'm I'm a little jittery about it because of the whole. You know, changes going to 2.0. I agree with that. Um, I, I'm kind of, I'm adopting a wait and see attitude. I mean, I, I guess I feel the same way about all of them. I mean, if you get into React or Backbone or uh, Aurelia. Aurelia, yeah. Um, but, you know, a lot of those have, have undergone some pretty rapid change. And so you have to preface whatever you say with, okay, I've worked with version X of this thing because it might as well not be the same thing. It's written by the same dudes, dudettes, whatever. It's changed so much that it might as well not be the. Next is learn a server-side language. And this is a crucial element. If you are mainly a front-end developer, then you still need to have a cursory understanding of how things work on the back end. And that's a quote from David Tucker. Well, at the very least, you need to know how HTML gets rendered at a web server and, you know, what what, you know, pipelining looks like and, you know, how, you know, if you're, if you're on the .NET stack, like how handlers work and, mm-hmm. and all those kind of things, or if you're 
Um, if you're dealing with uh, Apache, you know, you need to know about how your, you know, your uh, config files work yeah. and all the routing bits and pieces. You know, there's, there's really a lot there. You probably should try to have at least a passing familiarity with things like Ruby, PHP, uh, Python, Node, and, you know, ASP, uh, C++ for CGI apps. Yeah. And not to the point of being able to necessarily do it, but at least be able to look at it and go, oh, I know what language this is. Yes. And yes. what some things are that are, you know, that are good about it, what are some things that are bad about it, because they'll inform your design decisions. Mm-hmm. Like I said, even front-end developers, it's good to have kind of a cursory knowledge of how things work. great way to do this is if you already know JavaScript. Yeah, the Node. Node. Node is a great way... And there's yeah. some others too. There's some other, you know, server-side JavaScript frameworks, but Node is, you know, pretty much taking the field at this point. Well, we have a friend that's a front-end developer and want, wanting to move to the back end that is getting into it through Node. Yeah. And that's then, a good way to do it. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great idea. We, we have conversations on a regular basis about that. Yeah. And the real point is to be able to create or, or figure out how the pieces fit together at the very least for an entire chain from the front end of the app mm-hmm. all the way back to the back end of the server, including talking to a database. Um, that will open up a lot more job opportunities for you versus, you know, specialization drives your price higher. Generalization drives your ability to get employed. Yes. So you want to balance yes. those appropriately for the market you're in. You know, like you want to be first order ignorant. About yep. everything. Um, and what I mean by first order ignorant is that you know what you don't know, not you don't know it. But the thing that drives up your income and your ability to get in there and actually do something is specialization. Because how are you going to like, OK, I've been I've been developing, you know, full time since I got out. Right. 2003 to now. Right. So 13 years ago, I was at my first job. How would you just coming in and outmaneuver somebody like me. Uh, be a lot cheaper. Well, you're cheaper, but so so is a senior dev in Hyderabad. Trying to win on price, you're going to get driven into the dirt. You can't win on skill set because I've been developing mine for over a decade. Right. You can't win on the broad you know, systems architecture thing. What you can win on is a narrow subset. You can get a beachhead. You jump in there and you go, oh, hey, I do Angular. And I do Angular 2, and I, you know, I can do, I can tie it into jQuery UI, and I can tie it into ext.js. And, I, you know, I've got two or three things that I can do on the front end that are really difficult and fairly new. Or I can do React. It's like, okay, we've got, we're going to a React strategy. Okay, well, I can I can go get a Pluralsight video, and I can start learning it. But if you're jumping in, and you already know it, you're cheaper, and you're ahead of me, and you're here. You beat me, you beat Hyderabad. That's how I the game's about played. It that way, that makes that makes sense. Yeah, it explains kind of some of the and I don't know. And I keep down. <laughs> yeah, well, and I keep using the, the phrase Hyderabad. I, that's one of those things. I can't, I'm not sure if that if that I've been reading a whole lot of old. Um, you guys can't see it, but he is looking it up right now. Yeah, because I, the name of the place may have actually changed. Um, <laughs> and I'm so sorry if I. Um, right, well, while Will looks that up. Next is a cursory knowledge of APIs, AJAX, and callbacks. And this is under absolute basics. You should know the fundamentals of API calls. 
And using HTTPS and OAuth, you should be able to use the data that you get, be it JSON or XML, yeah. any other formats I didn't think of. Uh, yeah, I've seen CSV passed. I've heard of that. I have not seen it in my time, but I've only been doing this for about two years. So yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not all that common, and it's it's pretty awful to work with. Yeah. You know, on the on the front end at least, it's nice on the back end, which is oh yeah. Well, that makes sense. You can pretty much tell who runs a development shop based off of how the data is getting moved. Like if it's front end developers, there's going to be JSON flying all over the place, and if it's back end developers, it's going to be like XML. CSV, you know, something like that. Um, and I was correct on the Hyderabad still being the name of the city. I knew that a few cities had kind of, they changed their, they rebranded as it were. You know, I've, I've been learning Hexo. And, yeah. And um, for their configs, they use YAML. Yep. Yet another markup language. Yeah. And uh, going through it, I was just, uh, I've been thinking, you know, I like this, but I still, I, I think I would rather this were done in JSON. Yeah. YAML, I think, was a good answer to XML. I, I agree. Like, if you look at it as an answer to XML versus an answer to JSON, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I, I agree. And knowing that, I actually do like using it, but my my mind goes to what I... Most of the APIs that I've worked with send data in JSON. Yeah. And because of that, the ones that I can choose, I choose JSON just because I've got more experience with it. Well, and you can load it up as, as a JavaScript object, and it's there. There's yeah. no weird serialization. You know, I need to worry about, you know, how is this string encoded or... Oh, yeah, it is. You know, there's just, there's not as much weird junk. It's it's a literal here, you know, have the have the object. Don't do any weirdness to it to try to get it into an object. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course, on the other end, it's it's a whole lot more painful. Mm-hmm. Like if you're using a statically typed language and you have to parse JSON into some you know custom structure, and the JSON may be completely different, it hurts. It's well, you've been through that recently, actually. So I don't need to tell you. Uh, <laughs> Just kind of like sitting here. With the- yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Rap eating grin on my face. Yeah. Uh, the last thing that we have under absolute basics is editors and IDEs. Yeah, and you need to be comfortable with at least you know using one. Like if yeah. you go in and you go, okay, I've done everything in Notepad and on the command line. It's you know one th- if you come in and you say, okay, I've done everything in Vim and on the command line. That looks a lot different than going in and saying I've done Notepad in the command mm-hmm. line or Notepad and you know, some tool. Notepad plus plus is a different story. Yeah. And sublime and all those kind of things, but yeah. you, you want to get comfortable enough with different editors so that if you're ever asked to do something, you can do it. And I, I would suggest at least getting a cursory knowledge of the IDE for the server side language you're learning. Yeah. Well, or at least, you know, one of one the, of whatever the best one you know, whatever the top one is, that's in a reasonable price range. Because mm-hmm. some of them are, some of them are a bit high. Like I would not expect somebody to be comfortable with, you know, super comfortable with Visual Studio, even though, yeah, there's a free version. But there's like, a lot. Well, there's a lot more. Studio, there's a lot you couldn't do with the free version, though. With the yeah, 2015 community, 
they're really opening up. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's stuff that I'm I sure there's even, Apple tools though, that you can't, you oh, can't get it at a reasonable so. I price. I don't know that much about Apple, but, uh, I yeah. Was say, <laughs> yeah Cause you don't like some, being broke. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how there that are, works. There are some, some functionality in 2015 community of visual studio that until 2015, you had to have the like enterprise edition yeah. to use. So they're, they're really opening that up, but uh, especially a lot of the kind of non Microsoft, non Apple specific web languages have good open source IDEs. Yeah, they do. And, you know, on those also being comfortable with some of the free tools doesn't hurt either. Some of my favorite development experience was working on Ruby on rails using Vim. I bet that was really cool. Yeah, you could just jump down and you could do stuff on the on the console and then be right back up into your text, and you never your hands never left the keyboard. Vim is really neat. Yeah, um, I had problems with Ruby uh, packages, you know that, and the fact that there, there's not a whole lot of Ruby jobs here compared to .NET. Um, that's very so. true. I, I've looked into Ruby when I first started learning, and basically could only find one place that was hiring Ruby developers. So the next category is basic knowledge. And this is more for, you know, your simple freelancing and open source contributions. This is like the next level up. Mm-hmm. And that is, you need to know things about uh, differences between databases and web servers, like SQL versus no SQL. At a beginning level, you need to realize a little bit about relational database design and actually breaking things down where you don't repeat yourself. And this is for transactional systems, right? This mm-hmm. is not reporting systems, but you need to have um, a basic knowledge of how to take a chunk of data that you want to store and break it up in such a way that data is not repeated, that you can have constraints on that data, and you know, and that you can actually work with it in a performant manner. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean you have to become a DBA, but you would be shocked at how many programmers are absolutely terrible at SQL. Uh, um, no, I wouldn't. It- you would. You think you wouldn't be shocked. Like, however bad you have it in your head that it is, it's worse. And it will always be worse. Um, the other thing you'll run into is NoSQL, which is more of your, you know, either key value pairs or document databases. And there's a few other types of databases, too, that you'll run into. You'll run into graph databases sometimes, mm-hmm. like if you're dealing with uh, social networks or transit yeah, type stuff. Um, you know, th- those kind of things are in there. You'll also, if you really get into old school stuff, you'll run into like stuff that was around before SQL. Wow. Yeah. And those are, those are still alive and they're still used. Um, mm-hmm. I can believe it. So yeah, having a rough knowledge of how those pieces work, but especially having a good solid knowledge of SQL is really helpful because a lot of developers, like I said, are really terrible. I've, I've worked with people that were supposedly senior devs, couldn't normalize a database at all. Like, I mean, it's like, okay, you have something that has, you know, I don't know, it has 15 columns, yeah. right? You know, f- there's 15 columns of data. How do I store this? Well, we're going to put it in one table and there's stuff that's repeating. So like you have a, like, let's say it's invoices and invoice lines, right? You got a, you got a, a chunk of data that comes in. That's all the details mm-hmm. that's got repeating things for the header stuff. They're like, Oh, let's just put it in one table. Well, that's great until somebody says, okay, well, I'm going to change the shipping address for this invoice, which happens. Yeah, it does. And they don't get all the records. And so some of the stuff, you know, depending on what part of the system you're in, some of the stuff goes to the wrong people, but not all of it. 
maybe the packing slip is printed for the right people and the actual order fulfillment goes to the wrong people or it goes in the accounting system wrong. And you'll see stuff like that all the time. There's some things that you shouldn't do in SQL that people do in SQL too. So oh, I can see that. I, I can totally see that. Uh, yeah. Cause I've, I've, I've thought about stuff and I'm like, no, no, this is not. Okay. I mean, you know, if you have a, you know, you have one of the high dollar systems like Oracle or you have one of the, uh, you know, s- systems like Postgres, like Postgres is doing some just, Hardcore stuff like here lately where it's like, okay. You, you do know I read Oracle documentation for fun. Hmm. Um, you know, if you want to hit yourself in the kneecap with a hammer, um, I, I got a hammer. You don't have to have an internet connection. You can just do that. Well, um, it's an arrow. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice back reference. Um, and for those that don't know what, uh, be just talking about, um, uh, we were in a we were in a situation at work, um, dealing with some docs that somebody else had written, and he who shall not be named goes, uh, "Well, goes well, son. I used to be a developer like you until I took a flowchart to the knee." <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that got quoted um, like immediately. Yeah, you, know, you know where the term "took an arrow to the knee" Skyrim? Well, yeah, no, I mean, you know where Skyrim got it is what I'm saying. No. It's actually an old Norse term for got married. Wow, that's informative. (laughs) Uh, It completely changes the meaning of what all those characters in Skyrim are saying. um, Okay, so we got back into the database and web servers. Um, You do need to know how HTTP works, like Hypertext Transport Protocol. You need to know the difference between getting a post, period. Yes. Like. You're yeah. not a web developer if you don't. Mm-hmm. You may play one on TV, you're, but you're a failure mm-hmm. if you don't. I, I mean, like, I can't word that strongly enough. Yes, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, and, you know, knowing – you don't have to be a server administrator, but just knowing some simple tools will really help in troubleshooting your apps. Well, and you'll because, also not feel helpless all the yeah. time. Well, and you're not likely to keep your code locally. Yeah, I mean, well, it's going to live. It's going to live on a server. You're not going to edit it live unless yeah. you're an idiot. Exactly. Um, and and is, we're all idiots at some point, but well, yeah. that doesn't mean that you continue to be an idiot. Yeah, and you know, this will also help when you are talking with your server admins. Yeah, because if you can talk to them in their language, talk to them about things they understand, that will help you. And a way that you can get some practice with this is. Logging into remote servers uh, via Amazon's web services or Microsoft Azure, both are kind of pay-as-you-go freemiums. I know I host my personal blog on Azure, but there's a lot that you can do and learn on them that doesn't cost anything. You just got to watch yourself because they are pay-as-you-go and don't do like I did and have a WordPress site on pay-as-you-go account that gets attacked and drives you up to $150 in one month. That was not pleasant, to say the least. On that note, next under basic knowledge is security. We actually have an upcoming episode on cybersecurity. This was another one that We had been throwing around the idea, but then it was specifically requested by a listener, and so we will be doing one on security. First off, the OWASP 
development guide is a great resource and something that you guys should look into. Next, you should definitely know about injection. Yeah, SQL injection or you know just basically any kind of code injection. So basically, you never, ever want to trust user input. And SQL injection is kind of part of the problem here. It's where you're not scrubbing data and then you're executing it. Um, if you've got anything in a basically in a chain of code that is taking user input and then putting it into code and dynamically executing it, which you tend to do with SQL, um, it's possible for a user to shape input maliciously and then push it into your system. And, you know, this is kind of a high level overview and we'll get into this more in the security episode. But um, if you don't know what we're talking about on this, it would be a really good idea to look into this because there's a lot of very vulnerable code out there. Um, another thing to learn about is uh, password hashing. So, you know, you need to learn about how to salt passwords in, in such a way that you can prevent things like the rainbow table attack. And those, you know, those sort of setups, you also need to know enough to avoid uh, MD5 or SHA. Those are those are kind of weak cryptographically, like being aware of that when you go in and have a discussion with somebody is. Well, the the big key here is that those are those have been cracked. Yeah. And flat you really, out. You really need to know what has and hasn't been cracked. And there's some really good stuff. And we're going to get into that um, in the, the episode we have coming up on it. Well, when I, I wrote this, I wanted to get that out there for anyone that didn't already know. Yeah. Th- and, those have been cracked. Yeah. And you need to learn enough SSL and HTTPS related stuff to actually know that, hey, if it's sensitive data, it the transport channel has got to be encrypted. Yes. Period. And it needs to be done well enough that you know, people can be assured that there is a there's a secure connection. In other words, you're having a private conversation. Also, I want to throw something out there. You need to understand that HTTPS makes sure that you're having a private conversation. It doesn't mean that you're not having a private conversation with somebody you shouldn't unless you do the certificate validation yes. and, and do all that, right? Because yes. you can have a secure conversation with the devil. That's effectively that is a very good on the web. So just just bear that in mind. You know, you're not you know, just because it's HTTPS doesn't really get you out of it. Like there's that whole private key infrastructure and, and all those bits and pieces that you need to, at the very least, have a rough idea of how those interact mm-hmm. because it's very possible to do very dumb things and look like you're being secure. And the next, you know, the next thing you need to know about is uh, source control. And this is yet another one that's going to be an upcoming episode. There's a bunch of different source control systems. Have some familiarity with a few. Uh, just so that more that you understand different paradigms. So like you have, you know, you have your ones where you do a, a checkout and you're the only one, you have an exclusive lock on that code versus mm-hmm. the ones that do a whole lot of branching and merging. So you'll, you'll see old school systems. You'll see, uh, you know, CVS, which you don't, the granddaddy of them all. Right? Yeah. You don't see that around very much anymore. I mean, in fact, being in tech, most of the times when I've heard, heard the acronym CVS, somebody's going to the drugstore. They're not, they're not talking about their, their concurrent versioning system anymore. Yeah. I mean, um, come on, this was, CVS was created in 1986. Yeah. I mean, I was five years old in 86. Yeah. And then there's a few others. There's, you know, there's subversion and Git, mm-hmm. um, which it's like the fast rising star. It is, but it, it has some issues. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, 
I'll have to see if I can find it. There's some blog posts that get into the ability to actually really booger up a repository with oh, Git because of the way some of the things work to the point that you lose data. But, I just think it's neat that uh, the Git was uh, originated by uh, Linus. Yeah, well, and it was you know him scratching his own itch, which is you know fair enough. It, I mean, it, it does work. I've used it quite a bit. Uh, another one you'll run into is Mercurial. Which is, um, in my experience, a little bit mercurial <laughs> as far as it's, uh, well, it's, it's designed for larger projects. Yeah. And I've had weird, weird things with it, but you know, whatever. Um, you know, and then there's some other ones that are let, that are not used as much. So you've got like Bizarre and Libra Source and, and Monotone. Monotone. And then we come to TFS, which and interestingly enough, he who shall not be named posted a quote. From me. our illustrious Will. So I'm going to let him uh, read the quote that he said today. Yeah. So TFS problems are like electricity in a puddle of salt water. It doesn't matter whether you, where you touch it, you're still in for a shock. <laughs> and yeah, we were having a little bit of TFS problem yeah. today. And yeah, it's. I think a lot of it is actually the Visual Studio integration more than it's TFS. Mm-hmm. But it it can be a little bit um, not fun to deal with. Uh, I've I've heard I w- from I, you and from many other people. Yeah, I mean, like the big thing with TFS to remember is that it's better than source safe. Well, there's that. Yeah, that's. I mean, you know, pardon the phrase, but that's the better than Mississippi of source control. The Alabama source control. Well, I mean, you know, like how, you know, like how in educational rankings, like Mississippi always ends up in the bottom. Mississippi is in the bottom of everything except for obesity, which is the top. Yeah. Um, I used to live in Mississippi. I know these stats. Yeah. Um, you know, but they, they've got that reputation for, you know, any number of historical reasons. And TFS is basically the, the source control equivalent of whatever state is just beating Mississippi. That's 49th on the list. Alabama. Yeah, usually Alabama. No, no, like, seriously, their their state motto should be, at least we're not Mississippi. And people I know from Alabama will say that. Yeah, but sometimes it's Louisiana and sometimes it's Arkansas, too. There's a few other states that... I've heard people from Louisiana, because I live there, too, uh, say, at least we're not Mississippi. And then every so often it'd be West Virginia. But anyway, yeah. it's at that level. And <laughs> I don't, we really don't have time um, in the episode outline for me to really say what I think about TFS most of the time. <laughs> and we have a, we're a PG audience. Um, so I can't, I can't get into very specific uh, references to the non-branching of people's family trees and those sort of things. So, um, <laughs> We'll, we'll just leave that where that is, and we'll move on along with life. Um, <laughs> Finally, under basic knowledge is the ability to make effective estimations. And originally, I had put this a little further down under kind of the intermediate to get the job knowledge. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, if you're going to do some freelance work, as I have done a little bit of, you need to be able to make estimations. Especially if you're doing fixed bids. Yes. Because otherwise, what ends up happening is you go, oh, yeah, this will only cost a grand. And then you work for like 90 hours for that grand. And you're going, I could have flipped burgers. Yes. And not had to deal with TFS. Yeah. If any, you know, all other things being equal. <laughs> yeah. 
and you don't ever want to be there. So being, you know, being good at estimation is important. And the biggest thing there is learning from other projects, because if you can yes. actually keep good notes about how much time it took to do certain things and, you know, what you learned from it, you can go back to those. And I don't I don't have very good notes, but I have a very good memory mm-hmm. on those kind of things. And, and that well, that, that is, really helps you, a lot. We had a whole episode on time trackers. Yeah. It's actually been one of our most popular episodes. Yeah. And I can look at mine, although sometimes the detail is not is not there because I wasn't recording at the level that I needed for retrieval so much as just, you know, being able to fill a timesheet. But it really, it ties hand in hand with the development process. Yeah, it really does. I mean, it's, it's part of it because some of the deal is, is also knowing when to cut your losses on things. Well, this episode ended up going a little bit longer. All right. It, it ended up going twice as long as we had originally planned. So we've, cut the episode in half and we will publish the second half next week. That half will include the intermediate knowledge and the advanced knowledge, as well as a few honorable mentions or nice-to-haves. So closing out the episode, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Just a little thought here. We all talk about how we solve problems. right? That's that's kind of the, the cornerstone of what we do. I want to throw something out there that a lot of us kind of fail at doing because I've, I've done this quite a few times of late. Um, and that is to look at the data because it's very easy to, you know, especially with optimization problems. This is one that's burned me a lot is to go, okay, well, this thing is slow at this point because I know that, okay, well, like for instance, I'm manipulating a bitmap. Oh, well, it's, it's slow doing set pixel and get pixel and, you know, dot net. Uh, parlance because of the way that it, it does a lot of things under the hood, right? And you're like, okay, I want to pin this bitmap and I want to do this and I want to do that. The thing that's actually slow is a larger processing pipeline for the whole thing. Well, okay, it's, it's slow because I'm reading the bitmap over the network and it's slow because I'm doing operations at a pixel by pixel level instead of reading it in and drawing it on something and then rendering lines or whatever and then saving the bitmap off. I'm trying to to do things. So um, the important thing here is to, is to start actually collecting real data, get actual stats on things. Um, we've had to troubleshoot several systems at work lately that have gone down where we've had, um, we've had hard disk problems. We've had, you know, we've had various server problems. And one of the things that comes out in all this is being able to look at it and go, Oh, okay. This thing is, you know, for instance, it's very slow doing this process, right? Okay, cool. Well, I think it's this. I think it's Comcast with their network latency that's burning us. Mm-hmm. And then you get in there and you poke around and you go, oh, wait, you know, hard drive utilization is going through the roof right now. Why is that? Well, okay, I'm, you know, there's something that's beating up the hard drive, but it shouldn't be beating it up like that. And you go poking around and you finally realize that, oh, yeah, we have a RAID controller and there's two hard drives attached to it. And one of them is died or darn near dead, right? So it's it's writing, but it's not dead, dead. So it's just being slow and it's slowing the entire thing down. Until you actually get some kind of real data, you don't know what the problem is because you can think that it's your app and it's something way down in the stack that, you know, it's, it's controller level stuff. There's a hard drive problem and there's a firmware problem because it doesn't recognize that the drive is messed up. So if you're looking at a problem, Try to get enough data where you can actually determine what the problem is before you set out to solve it. Um, That'll save you a lot of pain and suffering.
you have a question or comment for us, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed under Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up to our email list, be sure and check out the website at www.completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Complete Dev Pod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.